Hello everyone, and welcome to the BearCast Media Bengals Preview Show. I am Justin Cashman alongside Alex Frank. Yes. We are gearing up for week seven. The Bengals are taking on the Cleveland Browns for the second and last meeting of the 2020 season. It's weird saying through only a few weeks that we're already almost done with uh, Cleveland, both games, but both teams are coming off losses, big losses uh, in their own respective ways, and Alex, how are we feeling about this game? Well, <laughs> I mean, it, kind of a mixed bag, I'm going to be honest with you, because like you said, Justin, not only are the Bengals coming off a bad loss in terms of the fact that they blew a 21 and nothing lead, but the Browns, they just got absolutely destroyed by the Steelers. I watched part of that game again today, and I didn't need to watch much to just see what happened in that game. What the Steelers' defense did was they was they pressured Baker Mayfield, forced him out of the pocket, and then not only that, I read somewhere that Baker is better when he is you know rolled out in play action, particularly to the left side, but I didn't see that on Sunday. What I saw was the Steelers' defense, the defensive backs, dropping back in coverage, Minka Fitzpatrick in particular with the pick six, and you think about... The rest of that secondary, they just completely baffled the Cleveland Browns. Stopped the run, and then they made Baker Mayfield look terrible. Now, Baker Mayfield did have injuries in the game, but, man, I just, you know, it's two teams, once again, two teams coming in to um, this game, coming off of losses that, for the Bengals, maybe shouldn't have happened, just like against the Chargers going into the Week 2 matchup. And for the Browns, just getting blown out by one of the top two teams in the AFC North. Yeah, so, go ahead. Oh, no, I was going to say that, like, even though that the Browns have a very different record than the Bengals, they're 4-2 while the Bengals sit at 1-4-1, I don't necessarily feel like these teams are too far apart talent-wise. And I don't think that the Browns are much superior to the Bengals because if you look at their schedule, their four wins came against the Bengals, Washington, Cowboys, and Colts. And those teams have a combined record of 8-15-1, and one, and they won by a combined score of 39. And their two losses, their two terrible losses, the first week against the Ravens and then to the Steelers this past week, who have a combined record of 10-1, and one, and they lost by a combined score of 63 points. And I just want to pose a question to you. Are the Browns worse? I mean, are they, are they a lot worse even than what their record shows? Because while they're at 4-2, and two, clearly they have not played elite teams in the NFL. And clearly they have not been blowing them out. Because when they play the bad teams, I think they do what they're supposed to do. I think they get the wins that they're you know expected to get. But against the really good teams, especially two teams in our own division, they've struggled and struggled a lot. I don't think the Browns are worse than their record suggests. I think that they have, I think the Colts win is a good win, contrary to what some might believe. I think the Colts are a solid football team, I really do. Now, the Colts were without Darius Leonard. They were without Anthony Costanzo, which allowed the Browns offense to do what they did in the first half, and it allowed Miles Garrett to tee off on Phillip Rivers. So you do have to factor those two um, components into the win against the Colts, but, I mean, like you said, Justin, they've done what they have been supposed to do, what they were supposed to do against the teams that they should beat, you know, and unfortunately, the Bengals were a team that, I mean, both of us picked the Bengals to win that game, I kind of regret doing that, but they were supposed to beat the Bengals, they did, they were supposed to be Washington, they did, although, fun fact, they weren't, they didn't take over that game until the fourth quarter, uh, they beat Dallas, which I I can't figure Dallas out. I can't figure them out. Because the first five weeks, it was, they're so good on offense. 
They're not very good on defense, and yet, you know, there's talent. Um, let me tell you something. Dak Prescott was worth every bit of the, the money he should have been owed. That team, that team is not going far. And by far, I mean, they, they might win the division by default, but they're not winning the playoff game. No. So, I don't... I don't want to say I don't want to say the Browns are worse than their record suggests, but they're a weak four and two team. They're a four and two team that, when they face good competition, they simply they simply fold. And the thing is, the last two years they had some good wins against good teams. Record wise, maybe not, but in terms of when you watch the teams that they played. On the field, I'd say they were good wins, but this is and this may be some growing pains for them because let's let's face it, they're they're still a young team. They got to learn how to play well against the elite competition, and that's why this game is so important for them on on Sunday because you're coming off you're coming off a loss where you look abs- where you looked absolutely pathetic. Your quarterback got benched, and. If you if you if you want to talk about playoffs, to quote the great Jim Mora, this is a game you have to win. I mean, I completely agree with you, and it seems like every week that we kind of have the conversation whether or not Baker is a good quarterback in the NFL because he was drafted number one number one overall in 2018, and he's kind of had an up and down career. His highs are really high, but his lows are, you know, he got benched last week for Case Keenum against the Pittsburgh Steelers. And you think about the weapons that he's had around him these last couple years. Odell Beckham, Jarvis Landry, who's been a little bit banged up this year. Cream uh, Hunt, Nick Chubb. And you think that this offense would be one that would be unstoppable, almost like a Kansas City Chiefs offense. But Baker has had his struggles. He's on pace right now to throw for 32 touchdowns, which would be a career high, but 19 interceptions. I think it just shows that he is very turnover prone. And I think that's something that the Bengals really need to capitalize on. And frankly, they've honestly capitalized on it the last couple years that they faced Baker. I believe they had two interceptions in the uh, season, the last game of the season last year. I think they had no, they, they had an interception in the game in Cleveland last year, Nick Vigil, um, and then we had an interception in Week Two against the Browns. So they can force turnovers. Baker is not; he's he's going to turn the ball over. I think that's something that can be guaranteed. But this offense, what is it right now? They're let me pull up their offensive stats. Uh, I don't... Uh, wait, where is it? Oh, I, either way. Oh, yeah, okay, here it is. They're 29th in the NFL in passing yards per game, but they're first in the NFL in rushing yards per game. And I think that really shows kind of the disconnect in this offense. And I don't know if that's Kevin Stefanski saying, well, you know, we have guys like Nick Chubb, we have guys like Kareem Hunt that can we, we can pound the ball. But you also have guys on the outside, like I mentioned, Odell and Jarvis Landry. Is it that they're not giving o- or, uh, Baker the chances to shine with his star wide receivers? Or do you think he's just trying to ride the wave of the two guys in the backfield, not this week or uh, in the next coming weeks because Nick Chubb is injured? Or do you think he's just trying to ride the wave of uh, Kareem Hunt moving forward because he's had such a good start to the year? I think he's, I, I think he's trying to utilize the run game as much as he can. Because even... I mean, because, um, the Brown at 29th in passing yards per game. I mean, that, that's just simply, it's not going to get it done. And when I see, when I hear those numbers, I think if that's how the Ravens are offensively, they're a really good rush team, but 
they can't. You know, they, they're they're one of the weakest teams in terms of passing yards per game in the NFL. And unfortunately, your your great teams like Kansas City, uh, like Tennessee, like even the Titans. You know, Derrick Henry stole all the headlines last week. He had 212 yards rushing. Ryan Tannehill threw for 364 yards. And fun fact, I think they became, was it the first tandem in the history of the NFL with a quarterback to throw for 350 and a, and a rushing running back to have 200 yards rushing? That's how, I think that's what it was. That yeah. is insane. And the Titans, for a while, they had the narrative of, you know, they were great defensively. They were well coached. They made it ugly, but they weren't that flashy. <laughs> More on that next week. But, I mean... I think with Baker Mayfield, it's, you know, when he when he has to win games by himself, he can't do it. And he's going to have to learn how to do it. Um, now, thankfully, the Bengals are a team where you can run the football on them because the rush defense is, is not very good. But I think at the same time, like you mentioned, Justin, all those weapons that Baker has... And he has a great offensive line. But the problem is when he faces teams like Baltimore and Pittsburgh, he, he simply has not delivered. This is not the Big 12 anymore. You know, this is not the Big 12 where they're going to um, gonna pressure you up, up front, force you out of the pocket, and then they're going to, you know, drop five, six, in the co- they're going to drop five into coverage, and you're not going to have anywhere to go. Like, this is not the Big 12. This is the AFC North. This is... A physical brands of football and the great quarterback and, and you know we talk about you, you know Lamar Jackson might be the best quarterback in the AFC North I I get that but Ben Roethlisberger is the most experienced quarterback because he's played in the AFC North since 2004 and yeah stuff yeah things within football have changed since then but it's also worth noting that the AFC North is still a very physical brand of football and Baker simply cannot win against teams who play physical with the Browns. And what I mean by that is when the offensive line is not protecting him and he has to make plays, don't be fooled. He's not that guy who can do it. He's not Patrick Mahomes. Far from it. No, and you're, com- and you're completely right. You hit it right in the head. Pittsburgh Steelers are the number two rush defense in the entire NFL at only giving up 66.2 rush yards per game. And the Ravens are giving up 109 yards per game, both in the top 12 in the NFL. And you're right. When Baker has to carry this team on his shoulders, when they can't get the run game going like they weren't able to against Baltimore and like they weren't able to do against the Steelers, they have to rely on Baker to make these big-time throws. And that's what they drafted a number one overall for because they expected him to make these big-time throws and these big-time moments and these tight windows but he just hasn't really shown the ability to do that consistently. He's had his flashes over, you know, two, three games, but when it really comes down to playing the best teams in the entire NFL, I just don't think that he's able to do it. And I think the Bengals really have a big advantage this upcoming week because they're getting Mike Daniels back. I mean, he's no DJ reader by any means. He's a little older, but what's he known for? Stopping the run. And I think having him back, having Geno back, maybe getting back into this defense after you know, not getting too many snaps against the Colts, but I think maybe they'll rotate him in more with, uh, it was a Xavier Williams who came in last week and had a sack, yeah. um, and uh, Christian Covington. So I think if those two, those two guys are getting the majority of the snaps, it's really going to force the Browns to, you know, put the ball in the air. I think that's really going to play well for the Bengals, especially 
having Darius Phillips on the outside, William Jackson is out. I shouldn't say especially with William Jackson out, but you know, it's going to be easier for the Bengals to have to force turnovers and force big time throws from Baker because they're going to be able to stop the run better, I think, with Mike Daniels and Geno Atkins. Right, and teams like, you know, we saw Baker Mayfield set the rookie passing touchdowns record in 2018. He was really good then. I will give him that. But, you know, now what's changed since then, I I guess teams have figured out how to play against him. If If you force him out of the pocket and you cover downfield, He's not gonna. He's not gonna be able to, you know, do what he did against Oklahoma. I mean, he doesn't have, you know. I think it's interesting, he, Justin. He doesn't have that vertical middle of the field threat that he had in um, uh, Marquise Brown at at Oklahoma. He doesn't have that with with Cleveland. Sure, he has a great slot receiver in Jarvis Landry. Sure, he has um, when he's playing at the top of his game. I still think one of the top ten wide receivers in the NFL in Odell Beckham Jr. But I haven't seen much from Odell this season that makes me, other than the other than the game against the Bengals and then the Cowboys, he has not been what the Browns um, signed as a free agent. Uh, I'm sorry, traded for? Did they trade him? Yeah, what they what the Browns traded for in uh, the offseason leading up to 2019? He he has not produced, and. With Austin Hooper being out, you know that they're going to target, you know, maybe they'll bring on the rookie Harrison Bryant. Maybe they'll target Rashard Higgins, uh, Kadero Hodge. But I think the Browns, um, maybe maybe they'll target more, them more in this game because I think they can, get, they can get away with it with the Bengals' defense. But the other thing, too, is I think the Bengals' defense, it, it, it's still a concern to me because last week, how many times did Jonathan Taylor get out on the perimeter? And that's a step back from the Baltimore game where they really did a nice job on Lamar Jackson. So... Nick Chubb is, you know, more of a downhill runner, but I look at Kareem Hunt. He's a guy who likes to bounce to the outside. He's not that, you know, runner that can go up the middle. Now, if they choose to run him up the middle, hey, I mean, I'll take the bank. Maybe I'll take my chances with Mike Daniels and Covington and Geno and, you know, the Xavier Williams, etc. But it's hard for me to trust the Bengals' run defense, especially after what what we saw in Week Two. Yeah, and I. I agree with you because you think about the guys that they brought in this offseason, what were they known for? Von Bell, Mackenzie Alexander, Trey Waynes, DJ Reader, all really solid tacklers. Now, DJ Reader's on IR. He's going to miss the entire season. Trey Waynes might come back later on the season. That's kind of, that's something I haven't really even thought about. Von Bell, he's the only guy that's really been healthy, along with Mackenzie Alexander. Von Bell has played at a okay level this year. Mackenzie Alexander's been, uh, what's his PFF grade? Um, I think I wrote it down. No, I didn't, but he's played well. Um, I think he was the only corner in 2019 to have played over 500 snaps and not have a single missed tackle. So I think that's really going to play to the Bengals' advantage um, against Kareem Hunt, like a guy, like you said, who's a more uh, east and west type runner. Um, but you think about the guy, or William Jackson, he's a really solid tackler for a corner. He's out. Darius Phillips and LaShawn Sims, who have both had a few good games, but overall struggled this season. I don't really trust them on the outside to make those open field tackles with Kareem Hunt and to come up and stuff the hole and make a big play because, frankly, they haven't been able to do it all year. And I just think that's been like the theme way too often with the Bengals last year, the last few years is they have good linebackers, they have some good D linemen, but when they get overpowered, they don't have the secondary to come up and make those big plays in the backfield or you know stop the run. And I think it's going to be... And a really big advantage for the uh, Browns offense. 
Someone mentioned this on Mo Egger's show on Wednesday, and it, and it talked about how if the Bengals can't beat the Browns, they're going 0-6 in the division. Because you see with the way you see with Cleveland what they've done recently is they have they have drafted in or they've signed guys in areas where they can match up with the best in the AFC North or at least try to. You know they have a great offensive line that look that looks imposing and they're very physical. You and, and to win in the AFC North you have to be physical and the Bengals simply aren't that. You know they're not as big and physical as the Steelers, the Ravens, and even the Browns now apparently because. You know, I was mentioning to you before before this show to watch William Jackson against Odell Beckham in Week Two. I mean, I mean, you see Odell; he's this big, strong presence on the outside and receiver. Heck, William Jackson had to pull on his jersey just to prevent him from breaking away and getting wide open for a touchdown. That's how you know much this Bengals secondary just gets simply bullied. I mean, I mean, you you can't just be you know. You have to have some size in this league to win. And you look at the Ravens. How many times do you see them outplay the, the Bengals physically? I mean, more than often. That's what happened in the first game this season. Okay. The Steelers especially. I mean, the Steelers have had a history of just completely toying with the Bengals. Particularly on the offensive line with James Harrison, Cameron Hayward, um... Stefan Tuitt, linebacker, it's James Farrier, it's Larry Foote, it's in the secondary with, I mean, guys like now Minka Fitzpatrick, before that it was Ike Taylor. I mean, the this, Brett Kiesel was another one. This is a team, these are teams that to win in this division, you the, the Ravens and the Steelers have set the standard. The Steelers have always set the standard, but since the AFC North became a division in 2002, these two teams have set the standard of to win in this division, you need to be physical. You need to play physical football. You're not going to win games 45-42 in this division. No, you're winning games uh, 23-20, 16-13 games like that. And now we're seeing the Browns, they can put up points. Why? Because they have an offensive line. They have great perimeter weapons on the outside who are not only known for their speed, but they're also known for their size and their ability to just outplay the Bengals physically and that's what we saw in week two yeah and you think about the last 10 years and any coach any player is going to tell you well we play the same we play every team the same we play as hard as we can but frankly I don't believe that's true I think there comes a point in time where maybe you've imposed your impose your will on a team so much that really you just don't really get frightened by them anymore in the last 10 years the Steelers really have dominated the Bengals I couldn't even tell you the last time that the Bengals beat the Steelers what, I don't even what, November what uh, week eight, twenty fifteen. Yeah, so I mean, it has been that's how long it's been, guys. It's it's been five years, and so you think the Bengals play the Steelers really hard when it comes to time to play Pittsburgh, and they have that swagger, and they come out and they play the Steelers really hard, and then look at the Ravens. They've, I mean, the Bengals have had decent success against the Ravens in the last ten years. You know, AJ Green's played really well against them. Um, he's a Ravens killer, whatever people want to call him. So then they start playing the Ravens really hard, and they're you know they really think of the Ravens as a really intimidating team, especially now with Lamar Jackson. And then the Browns are kind of the team that they would beat up on. You know that's going to be an easy win, and that's not what the case is anymore. You have to play every team in the NFL, really every team in your division, the same because every team in this division, beside the I mean every team that beside the Bengals, 
can easily impose their will on the Cincinnati because in the last few years, they have not shown the ability to play either of these teams at a peak level. And as much as I hate to say it, it's just really kind of frustrating because the AFC North is, I mean, arguably one of the best divisions in the entire NFL right now. And the Bengals are just at the bottom of that. They're at the bottom of the totem pole. No one really thinks about them. If you want to come out, and I'm not sure if Zach Taylor, what the status of his job is going to be following this game. But I think he might be on the hot seat depending on how the Bengals play against the Browns. If you want Zach Taylor to stay in Cincinnati, if you're one of the Zach Taylor defenders, if you want this team to have some confidence. Wait, 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 there's a such thing as those people? I think so. I mean, I've seen quite a few people say, well, you got to give Zach Taylor like 32 games. You can't give him 22 games. You got to give him a few more games. You got to give him some, at least one more year to show that he can coach or not coach this NFL team. But if the Bengals go out and lose Sunday to the Browns, I really think that those Zach Taylor defenders might turn around and say, well, you know what? We clearly cannot be any team in the AFC North. We've lost to the Browns twice this year, and they're not even the best team in the entire division. And these players, if they're going to go next week and play Tennessee, they're going to have to get some confidence from this game first because it's not going to be pretty playing against Derrick Henry. (laughs) I mean, more on that next week. That's going to be fun, especially if the Bengals can win on Sunday, but you're totally right, Justin. That's something else I wanted to get to. It's like, when I think of this game, I think Zach Taylor's job is almost, in essence, on the line in this game. Um, Because, you know, you're coming off blowing a 21-point lead, and something I tweeted about after the game on Sunday, I said, when will the script with this franchise flip? And it just simply, it just simply has not been flipped in 52 years. I mean, ever since, the, ever since Joe Montana and the 49ers drove down the field in Super Bowl 23, it's been the Bengals will get this close to achieving something meaningful, and then they won't do it. That, and, that, and it's been that case ever since. The Bengals have had some good teams. They've had some games where, you know, it looks, it looks like they might actually win something, like a playoff game or a marquee game in prime time. And uh, even when they've been good, they, they simply uh, live up to their trademark, which is will find ways to lose. <laughs> and uh, that's why this is a losing organization. This is an organization that does not know how to win. And now, as you say, I mean, if they can't even beat the Browns, who, yes, they're 4-2, and two, but like I said earlier, they're, I think they're one of the weakest 4-2 and two teams. I mean, how many teams are 4-2? and two? Them, Buffalo. Buffalo's interesting, although I, I still think Tampa Bay. I think they're 4-2. and two. Tampa Bay is a really good 4-2 and two team. I don't think they're, they should be 5-1. and one. Um who else is four and two in the NFL right now? Uh, Arizona's four and two. I think that I think that's justifiable. Um, I'm trying to go through all the divisions here. Uh, the, yeah, you brought up the Bills. Bills are four and two. Uh, the Browns, the Colts. Um, Colts, Colts is interesting. Although I I think that the Rams, Rams that that's fine. Yeah, and that's all the four and two teams. Those are all the four and two teams. So that's about five five teams at four and two. The Browns have to be, I think, if not the weakest four and two team, maybe the second weakest four and two team, because that, that's what that's like what the loss stands out to me from the last time these two teams played. It's that the Browns were a beatable team, and you made them look like world beaters in that game. Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt to watch them run for over two hundred yards against us. It was like they were imposing their will on this team. And like I said, the Browns have now figured out how to play with these teams in the AFC North because for a while it was, excuse me, they were the pushover. They couldn't play with anybody, even the Bengals. 
But now they have the upper end in the rivalry. They've won four of the previous five games between these two teams. And if they you know, finish off the season sweep on Sunday, what can you really say that Zach Taylor has done? We keep hearing about culture and all their, you know, they're a few plays away here and there from, you know, being where they want to be. And okay, like I said yesterday on, on Sports Anyway, I'm sick and tired of all these metaphorical references and cliches and positive coach talk and uh, just, it, it, it just really, I, you know, I, I just want to see a win. You know, win on Sunday, you're 2-4-1, which isn't good, but at least it gets you to a point where, okay, you have something to work with here, and then the Tennessee game, you have to, every game from here on out is a must-win game, but then you can have some hope going into, without question, your toughest game of the season to this point against the Titans. And last night, I don't know if you saw it or not, but Jeremy Roush, he tweeted out a uh, Cincinnati reporter, he tweeted out a story about how a lot of the negative talk about how this team is really divided is really stemming from one or two players. He didn't specifically name one or two players, but I think you could probably guess it if you have been following the Bengals Carlos closely. Carlos Dunlap. Yeah, Carlos Dunlap, arguably Sean Williams, Darius Phillips. Some of the guys that have voiced their frustration um, the last couple of weeks or so. And I understand that this team, they don't want to divide the locker room as much as it sucks to lose and as much as it's probably really easy to lose faith in your head coach when you're 318 and one over the last two years and it's hard to defend a guy like that but jeremy ralph said you know this team is as close as they're saying other than the one or two guys that he mentioned um and joe burrow echoed that in his uh, press conference he said this is a really close-knit group of guys that really like being around each other in the locker room and you like to hear that and as much as you love to hear that these guys in the locker room are close they have good relationships it's only one or two guys that are driving the narrative that the locker room is divided. It does not mean anything if you don't win. And I understand that these guys, they want to have all the faith in the world in Zach Taylor to put together a game plan that they're going to go out and execute and win the game. And that is just not the case. When's the last time that you came out? And I posed this question, I believe last week or two weeks ago. When is the last time when you watched a Bengals game, you said, man, they really executed on that game plan. And they did it last week in the first, you know, first half, really. I mean, 21 up, up 21 nothing. They really must have came in, had a great game plan. But you go up 21 nothing and you lose. And there is no excuse for that. There is no excuse for Zach Taylor to lose a 21 nothing lead. You can put that on the players. You can put that on the coaching staff. I'm personally going to put it on the coaching staff. But you can't defend Zach Taylor anymore. There is no possible way that you can defend a head coach that has not constructed a game plan good enough for this team. And you win three games over the last two years. It's, I mean, it's despicable. I mean, it really is one of the worst possible things that you could happen when you hire a new head coach, a young head coach, the quarterback's coach for the team that was just in the Super Bowl with one of the hottest quarterbacks in Jared Goff in the entire NFL. You bring him in. And you ruined this team more than it was probably already ruined by the end of the Marvin Lewis era. And if you don't beat Cleveland on Sunday, a divisional team that you should at least put up a fight against, there, there is arguably no excuse for Zach Taylor to remain the head coach following week seven. And I know I just kind of, I know, no, I know you, no, ran. no, you're right. Go ahead. No, no, no I know you ran it. I know you, we went on the big long rant 
uh, last week after the we? Colts, after the you went on the big long rant uh, well, after well, the Colts I, well, game. All three of us kind of you know added on to it. Yeah, so I mean, I, I don't I don't want to keep hammering in on the Zach Taylor. You know, he needs to be fired. He needs to be gone because I think our viewers, if they listen every week, I think they know that how we feel about Zach Taylor. All three of us, and so. I just want to see the Bengals put it together a good game plan. I know Joe Mixon is out. Giovanni Bernard has kind of been the second guy for the last few years. He's had some good games. If you think back 2018 at Atlanta in week four, he played pretty well. He had a touchdown last week even, and he's kind of been the guy that's just stepped in whenever Mixon or one of the, the running back one, Jeremy Hill, whenever they've been out and been injured. And he's played pretty well. And you think about the guys behind him, Samaje Ryan. We know he had the run one rush all year, and we know when that came last week against <laughs> Indianapolis Colts run. on the third and one fullback dive. And then I'm interested to also see Travion Williams, who I think has only had one career uh, rush. I believe that was last week. Yeah, because he was a rookie last year. So I'm excited to see him because he was really explosive at Texas A&M uh, when him and Ronnie Anderson both came in in the same draft. I think they were both picked in the sixth round. Um, I was really excited to see both those guys because they're both super electric in college. Um, so I just want to see this offense – even though they're missing Mixon, I want to see them have some swagger to them. I want to see Joe Burrow get the ball out of the backfield to the running backs because I think that's something that they can really utilize against this. You know, I, they have a good defensive line, the Browns, um, but their linebackers are pretty inexperienced and pretty young and not the best linebacking corps in the entire NFL. And I think if they're able to get the ball out of the backfield... You, you, know, the, you know when you say linebacking corpse, you're referring to a linebacking dead body. I hope you know that. So, well, core, I mean, I'm being on you here. Core corpse. Sorry, I... I there are two different things. Either way, I think that that's something right. that I want to see the Bengals do is get the ball out of the backfield into the running back's hands and make a guy miss and get some yards because I think that's something that could really utilize against the Browns on Sunday. So Zach Taylor, I don't know if you heard his press conference on Wednesday. Someone asked him about you know what, you know throwing the ball 61 times against the Browns in Week 2. And Zach Taylor said, we feel comfortable throwing the ball. Uh, we'll do whatever it takes to be successful. Well, whatever it takes to be successful is not throwing the ball 61 times a game. I, I, it's just, that just simply is not how the Bengals win games. I mean, the way the Bengals win games, I think, is by running the football and, and still, you know, throwing the ball, you know, still throwing the ball around. I think also it's, you know, Joe Burrow is one of the best, you know, intermediate um, route throwers in the, um, in the NFL. So, you know, there's talk about, you know, the run opens up the pass. Well, it's hard to run the football because, you know, especially with this offensive line, you know, you see it's, it's really, really hard to break loose that big run. Now, Derrick Henry and the Titans make it, make it look easy. But um, I think if Zach Taylor wants to come out up-tempo, empty backfield and hit those short intermediate throws, that's fine. But then still run the football. I don't want to see the Bengals have like 20 carries to 61 passes on Sunday. Now, granted, they did lose. They did only lose the game by five. I'm not saying. And by the way, I I, I have a problem. Um, someone keeps trying to tell me that I should be blaming. I should be putting some blame on Joe Burrow on these shows. I'm not going to do that at all. I'm not going to blame a rookie quarterback. With c- considering that the offensive line is not very good and he doesn't have a great defense around him his I mean his most experienced wide receiver has been a shell of himself at best and you can say well he should you know you know quarterbacks as great as Joe Burrow should be able to overcome those and I would say to a degree that he has 
Um, I'm sorry that the Ravens, you know, are just so relentless with their pass rush, and I'm sorry that the that, that the coaching staff didn't come up with a great game plan to combat that. And you can say, why are you blaming the coaches so much? Because it's the truth. We ga- I gave them a pass last year because they had so many injuries, and they're virtually playing with practice squad players. But this year they're playing with. I mean, I mean, they're rolling out on offense. Joe Burrow, Joe Mixon, Tyler Boyd, AJ Green, T. Higgins. That's a pretty damn good group of weapons, right? Yeah, and I quick uh, quick little thing. C O R P S noun: a body of people engaged in a particular activity. Like an example is the Marine Corps. That's what I was referring to. He's just a corpse. I don't. I don't know if that's the same. I don't know if that works with the linebacking corpse or core, whatever you want to oh say. Gosh. Either way, doesn't matter. But no, you're right. I think I, I don't. Want, I'm not going to put any blame on Joe Burrow. Why would I put blame on Joe Burrow? I don't see a lot of people blaming Justin Herbert. I know he is only he hasn't started nearly as many games as Joe Burrow, and they have. I don't even think who have they beat with Justin Herbert. They beat. Yeah, uh, uh, they haven't beat anybody with Herbert. Yeah, they lost to the Chiefs. They're zero four. The, they lost to the Saints. Um, but yeah, no, Joe Burrow. He has overcome a lot this year. You think about this offensive line play. Jonah Williams. He came in. He's actually played really well, but the interior of this offensive line has not played well whatsoever. And you're right. I, why would we apologize for Joe Burrow? escaping the pass rush, making the most out of his opportunities, making the most out of really what, I mean, opportunities, if you want to even say that. I mean, he's getting sacked six, seven, eight times a game. Um, so, no, I'm not going to apologize for Joe Burrow. I think he's, was it, he's had, he just had his fourth 300-yard uh, passing game this year already. I think it's one of the yeah. first rookies to ever do that, if and not he's the only too rookie off, to ever do that. And he's too off from the rookie record, which was from Andrew Luck in 2012. And did anyone blame Andrew Luck for anything that the Colts had going wrong in 2012? No. No, and so if anyone thinks that we're going to apologize for Joe Burrow, you can go ahead and turn this off. I'm sorry, that's not going to happen. Um, but yeah, I think if you roll out, if you come out with T. Higgins, A.J. Green, Tyler Boyd, and if A.J. Green can turn it on and if he can play well against uh, the Browns, I would argue that this is probably a top three receiving core and maybe a top five receiving core in the entire NFL. Tyler Boyd's been a you know great piece for this team in the last few years. T. Higgins been a great rookie, second round pick out of Clemson. He's played great this year. He just had 125 yards against the Colts. AJ Green just had his breakout game with six, I believe it was six catches for 96 yards, or it was eight catches. Either way, I think if AJ Green can really turn it on and have two string together back to back games and have a really good game against the Browns, I think Joe Burrow is going to be really, really successful, and he's going to easily break that 300-yard passing record set by Andrew Luck that we just alluded to. Um, and so I, I would love to see Joe Burrow slinging it around. I know they have guys on the back end like Auden Tate, uh, John Ross is questionable, but Mike Thomas, um, not the Michael Thomas in New Orleans, but um, the other Mike Thomas. But, uh, yeah, he has a really good group of guys right now, and I think when they get hot – I think this offense could be, you know, one of the best in the entire NFL. Yeah, and I think T and Joe admitted it after the game on Sunday that they just left, they just let their foot off the gas. Now I don't think they they, they didn't completely let their foot off the gas. I mean, this is, I mean, you have to remember that they still had uh, three, r- really uh, four drives that were on the doorstep of scoring position. Unfortunately, two of them, only two of them, mounted into points. But I just think about, you know. You know, again, it, it's all it's all about coaching. And like I said, going into the week two game, coaching was going to, to determine who won that game. 
And the Browns, what they did, they weren't the, they weren't the flashiest team in that. Actually, they were. What they did was Baker throws the ball nine times in the second half, and they run the ball like 20 times. That right there is coaching because it's, okay, I know what my team is good at, so I'm going to utilize that strength and impose my will on this team. And you can, and you do that even when you're facing a team who is known for stopping your strength. I mean, what did the Titans do last year against the Ravens? The Ravens were a great run-stop team. The Titans said, how the hell with that? We don't care. We're gonna run, we're gonna use it, we're gonna use Derrick Henry. You have to know your team. Zach Taylor doesn't know this team. Like, don't kick a field goal on fourth and one from the 30-yard line with eight minutes to go. Now, if there's two minutes left in the game or one minute left in the game, then I'll give you the benefit of the doubt. I'll, you know, then you make a good decision. Although even then I could say, well, you know, your kicker's not the best from long range. Um, why don't you get a little bit closer, especially considering you have Joe Burrow who can QB sneak it, Joe Mixon who could run it, um, even Tyler Boyd on a misdirection uh, reverse. You know, it's just about knowing your team. And Zach Taylor does not know this team. The sequence that sums it all up was the P. Ryan fullback dive, which, I mean, our friend Sean, he said after he said after I showed the Monday, he's like, I didn't know some Ajay P. Ryan was on our team. And I'm like, I didn't know either. Hmm. Uh, it's, yeah, um, it's utilizing Joe Mixon so he can get the first down. Now, if Joe Mixon doesn't get the first down, okay, fine. But at least you used him. Like, I taught, you know, look, obviously you play to win the game, but... If you're gonna if you're gonna go down, go down swinging with your best, your most valuable player on offense, attempting to give you the ultimate goal on that play, which is a first down. And I think that while we do talk a lot about Zach Taylor, and in no means am I defending Zach Taylor, I think Zach Taylor is really only just an extension of this front office out of this organization. And you think about this offseason, we spent the most money we have ever spent in the offseason this year on the free agents that we talked about earlier, Trey Waynes, DJ Reader, Von Bell, Mackenzie Alexander, Xavier Suofilo. And yes, at the time, it was great. We love having those guys. We love getting those guys in free agency. And it was, we, were, we were ecstatic because that is something that this city, that this team has never seen before. Now look, DJ Reader on IR, Trey Waynes on IR. Uh, Von Bell's played all right. Mackenzie Alexander's played all right. Uh, Xavier Suofilo hasn't played since week one. And you think about a team like Cleveland, they made really big moves in the offseason. Jack Conklin, Austin Hooper, and uh, Carl Joseph, a few other moves. And while they're 4-2, like we've said all show, we think that they're one of the weaker 4-2 teams in the NFL. And you think about the teams that have had great success, not even just great teams, but great organizations. Look what the Ravens just did. They have arguably the best pass rush in the entire NFL. And you know what they did? They traded for one of the best pass rushers in the entire NFL, Yannick Ngakwe. Now, what did they give up? A third-round pick? A fourth-round pick? You know, they got him for dirt cheap. And I think that is just something that great organizations are going to do. You can't be complacent with the moves that you made in the offseason because as great as those moves were, think about what those guys that you made those moves for are doing right now for your team. Virtually nothing. And you think about what the Steelers did last year with Minka Fitzpatrick. I don't know what the record was before they traded for Minka Fitzpatrick. 0-2. Uh, 0-2. And you know what they did? They traded for Minka Fitzpatrick. And you know what Minka Fitzpatrick has done for that team? Absolutely. He's been absolutely fantastic. He had that pick six last week uh, from Baker Mayfield. And he's been 
probably one of the probably their best defender on that entire team. Actually, I mean, with a guy group with like T.J. Watt and Bud Dupree, um, it's hard to say whether or not he's the best. But he's been a top safety in the entire NFL, and that's the difference between an organization like the Ravens, the Steelers, and Cleveland and Cincinnati. Because Cincinnati is going to say, you know what? We're going to get these guys back in the offseason. We're going to get them healthy. They're going to play for us next year. And you know what's going to happen? We're going to win five, six games. We're not going to be 500 or better. And we're not going to make a midseason move for a perennial all-star, for a perennial pro bowler to help this team in the area that we need, that we are struggling. As in the Ravens went and got a pass rusher. As in the Steelers got a safety. Two top players in the NFL. And if the Bengals were to make a big move before the trade deadline, I think it's November. Uh, it's, com- it's, it's coming up. I think it's November the 3rd. Maybe, maybe I'll think differently. But they have never done that, at least not that I can think of. I don't know if you can point out a pre-trade deadline move that's really no. been perennial. I can't either. And so moving forward, I think that Zach Taylor, I think, he's, I think he accepts the fact that it is what it is. You know, we have these guys. I believe in their talent, but as much as a coach can believe in the player's talent, as much as they can have faith in their players, it's the NFL, and players come and they go. And you can't always just trust that a guy is going to be healthy by the time next year starts because injuries... Look at Jason Verrett. He was a cornerback for the um, Chargers, and he missed, I think, two seasons in a row because two times, right before the season started, he had either a torn ACL or a knee injury. And look where he's at now, the 49ers. And he is giving up a uh, passer rating, I think, of 2.8 was, is what it was. Absolutely fantastic. But that doesn't always work. As much as you would like to see that, that's, that's an anomaly. That doesn't always happen. And the Bengals just need to accept the fact that if they're struggling, they need to get a guy that's going to help them in certain areas where they're struggling. They need to go out and get a guy like Quentin Spain, who just was released by the Buffalo Bills, because what's struggling on this team? The interior offensive line, the left and right guard position. Quentin Spain would be an immediate upgrade, and they're not going to do it. As much as the fans might you know, plead with this team to go out and sign this guy, it's not going to happen. And if they don't make moves either before the trade deadline or in this upcoming offseason or even next, I mean, all the way to next year, I mean, it's going to be hard to keep rooting for this team. It's one thing to only worry about what your organization, you know, there's a saying, control what you can control. And that's fine. But at the same time, like, you know, be cognizant of what's going on around you in the NFL. You know, front offices and coaching staffs and and those that contribute to great organizations, they're they're not only thinking about their team. They're they're looking around the NFL, they're looking, you know, what's going on with they're looking to see. And, you know, it's one thing to not read anything in the media, but you have to understand, okay, if this guy if this guy was just released, hmm, let's see what he can do. Like you're saying, Justin, with Quentin Spain of Buffalo, let's see how he can upgrade um Let's see how he can upgrade our offensive line. Maybe there's something here. I, I just wish this team did everything it, it could to win. It does some things. It tries to. Th- this team tries to draft well. I would argue that their last two drafts have certainly been better than the previous years. I think this draft especially with Joe Burrow and T. Higgins, and then you think about Logan Wilson, who's had a nice start to the season. I think this year. I think this year's draft class has been solid. The free agent draft, the free agent class was really good, but it's just, it hasn't worked out. 
Reader's on IR, like you mentioned. Sua Filo's on IR, and Trey Waynes is not coming back for the foreseeable future. Alec Mackenzie Alexander's been up and as, hasn't been on the field much. Von Bell's been up and down. So, yeah, there you go there. Um, but anyway, I, I, I just think, you know, you have to be aware of what's going on around you, not and also just be fully aware of every asset of your team. Like I said, you know, Bill Belichick, I mean, the Patriots were um, either like five, six, seven, and two at the trade deadline of 20, uh, 2017. They traded Jimmy Jamie Collins, who was one of their best players. Why'd they do it? Again, they must have seen something. And you look at um, the Saints, they they tried out they try to get Des Bryant, and then they and then when he went down, they're like, all right, we'll go get Brandon Marshall. They they didn't just be like, okay, you know, we tried. You can't do that. You have to be proactive. It's plan A, B, C, D, E, F, G, all the way to Z, which is what this organization makes me want to do on Sunday. Sleep. <laughs> Go ahead. Um, and just to add on to what we've been discussing is like uh, James Rapian or Rapian? James Rapian? James uh, Rapian. Yeah, he, uh, writer for Sports Illustrated, um, covers the Bengals. He wrote an article today. Um, Jonathan Jones of CBS Sports, uh, he added that he said he's hearing a lot of chatter about asking prices for Bengals trade uh, uh, guys that they might be able to have on the trade block are unreasonable. And I'm not exactly sure which guys that could be. That could be AJ Green. That could be Carlos Dunlap. And you have to just think that like the Bengals, if they're really asking for an unreasonable amount from for a guy like Carlos Dunlap, a guy who has had one sack, I think it is, in the first six games, you just have to shake your head at that because while this defensive line is not one of their premier positions on this team, you have to get something for the guys that you can because Carlos Dunlap, while he has had a great career, I don't want to take anything away from him. He has done an amazing job for the Bengals over his career. He's just not the same player that he is. And I'm not sure what you can get for him. Maybe a fourth pick, a fourth round pick, maybe a fifth round pick, maybe a role guy. But that's going to help this team in the long run, at least you would hope. And maybe AJ Green. I don't know what his trade value is right now. Probably not too much. But if he's, I mean, I, I wouldn't want to trade AJ Green now because he might be heating up. But like, say he had continued as the season went on to struggle, you just have to see what you can get for these guys. And it might not be a first-round pick. It might not be a second- or third-round pick. But it might be a later-round pick. But a lot of times, those guys turn into all-stars for teams. Not every single great player in the NFL is a first- or second-round pick. And that's just a fact. And if you can just turn one of these guys who is not who you're paying a lot of money for and you're not getting the value out of what you pay them for, you need to just take a chance on a fourth or fifth round pick and see what see what you can get in the draft because in the long run they might be able to help you more than what the guy that you have on your roster that you're paying 12 13 14 million dollars a year to you can, you can probably get, maybe they can arguably maybe do more than what that guy is doing for you right now yeah and it's just comical how you know last year when the timing would have been absolutely right to trade guys like aj green carlos dunlap and geno atkins and then what do you know? The trade deadline comes and goes, and the Bengals remain the same. And that was an 0-8 football team not doing anything at the deadline to help themselves. You know, you're 0-8, you're, you're 
Um, every other team in the league is going to try to figure out, okay, this is an area, and this is 0-8 after three straight mediocre seasons. Any team who's in that position other than the Bengals, they're going to look at their roster critically and say, okay, what are our weaknesses or, you know, who are some good trading chips? They're not going to look at, well, they are looking at weaknesses, I hope, but they're going to say, okay, who are our guys that we can get, you know, the most from at positions that are going to help us? And then, you know, you're going to get probably get draft picks with some of these trades, which is great. But this team, it's like, if you're going to ask for, like you said, Justin, an unreasonable um, return, it, you can go... Yeah, we'll give you Carlos Dunlap for a first and second round pick. Oh, so now you're thinking about taking a. Now you're thinking about first and second round picks. Mm, doesn't work that way. Teams are gonna laugh. Teams are gonna laugh their heads off at that. They're gonna go. Mm, we'll give you a fourth or fifth rounder, but we're not gonna give you a first and second round pick. Why? Because teams value their draft picks. It it, it just it just boggles my mind how this team doesn't doesn't um doesn't perform. The necess- all the necessary practices, and, and like I said, you know, you can really look at the simplicity here that sports are run like a business, and quite frankly, this is an organization that doesn't do everything in its power to win, and that's the whole point of playing in this league. You look at team, you look at the Arizona Cardinals. I talked about this last week on the preview show. They go three and thirteen. In their first season with Steve Wilkes as head coach, Steve Wilkes gets booted. Now the Cardinals have Cliff Kingsbury and Kyler Murray. That team is a contender for the playoffs. That team, that team is committed to winning. The Browns, say what you want about the Browns and the fact they have not done anything since 2002. They have not had a winning season since 2007. The mo- their most wins in a season since then has been seven in 2014 and 2018. But the Browns, at least they, you, know, you can say, oh, what a comedy act that is going through 29 different quarterbacks. Okay. Oh, and look at this. The Cardinals acquired linebacker Marcus Golden from the Giants for a sixth round pick in the 2021 NFL Draft. Again! Trying to win here. We're trying to win here. That's what Arizona's saying, and go. Don't make a off there, but like, what was it? What was I saying? Uh, I was just saying the Cardinals are four and two. Yeah, they are four and two, and the Browns, like you can say, well, they tried twenty nine different quarterbacks. Why can't they get it right? Hey, that shows they're not willing to settle. And they went through all these head coaches. What they went? They go through Romeo Cornell, uh, Eric Mangini, uh, <laughs> Mike Rids, uh, Mike uh, Rids, Rob. Radzinski, whatever his name is, Pat Shermer, Mike Pettin, Hugh Jackson, Greg Williams, Freddie Kitchens, and now Kevin Stefanski. There's nine right there for you. This is what great teams do. Look at the Bills. They went through a whole bunch of quarterbacks. They went through a whole bunch of head coaches. Now they got Josh Allen and Sean McDermott. They're set. The Bengals have been content with just mediocrity. And it's a middle finger to the entire city of Cincinnati. And that's why there's so much angst. That's why there's so much of a disconnect between this, the fan base and the team. And 15 years ago, there wasn't that. I mean, there was. I mean, there was a palpable buzz about this team. Yeah, I mean, and like 
you think about, I mean, I'm just going to bring up another team that made an acquisition. Look at the Chiefs. They have the best quarterback in the entire NFL. Their offense is probably the best in the entire NFL, but they kind of just seem to lack that rushing game, that running back that could just really dominate. And look what they got. They got, they got Clyde Edward-Hilaire. Clyde Edwards-Hilaire? Clyde yes. Edwards-Hilaire? Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. And he just had a 160-yard game against the Bills. He has been fantastic for them thus far. And then what did they do? They said, oh, well, we're not happy with what Clyde Edwards-Hilaire is providing for us. So, you know, we're going to get Le'Veon Bell. Arguably the, one of the best running backs in the last eight years in the NFL. Uh, he had a great career with the Steelers. Um, kind of fell off a little bit with the Jets. I think that whole organization is just so dysfunctional. Um, <laughs> but he has a real chance to revitalize his career with the Chiefs. And maybe even what's going to be the best one-two punch running back uh, duo in the entire NFL and that just shows that this offense, Andy Reid and Eric Bieniemy, they're ne- they're never satisfied. And you listen to Eric Bieniemy in his interview, and he's just a class act. I mean, <laughs> that is a guy that you want on your football team. That's a guy who you want, you know, leading these men every single week into battle. I mean, that's really what it is. And I mean, that's something that I would really love for the Bengals to maybe acquire if Zach Taylor's. Uh, <laughs> he's on my he's on my candidate list to uh, replace Zach Taylor, um, along with Brian Schottenheimer and Brian Dabble and uh, maybe someone from the Saints. And I'm just saying that, like, my point is that these guys are never satisfied. When's the last time you heard Brian Callahan come out and say, "Well, you know, we're we're not really happy with." Um, this wide receiver group, so we're going to go out and get a guy that, I don't, I don't even know, think of one, for example. Just just like a, another wide receiver that can really help this team. When's the last time you heard Brian Callahan say that? When's the last time you heard Zach Taylor say something like that? I mean, you haven't. When's the last time you heard Lou Anarumo say we're going to go get a guy that's going to really help this defense? Um, a D-tackle because, uh, you know, DJ Reader's been hurt, Geno Atkins has been hurt, Mike Daniels has been hurt. Um, you know, they haven't. Um, Xavier Williams, a guy off the street, no, that's not going to cut it. Um, yeah, so that's taking the easy way out, not trying to be proactive and looking at what's going on in the rest of the NFL and seeing who's been released and who's um, on the waivers and whatever. So, yeah, I mean, you can't go through the, an entire season and expect to contend with the exact same roster. No, you're going to go through trials and tribulations, and what you have to do is, yeah, you got to ride them out, but at the same time, you also have to think about, okay, is there anyone out there who can come in and help make us better? It's just, it's just a slap in the face when we know when – like. I bet you you could run this organization. I could run this organization. Heck, Sean could run this organization. Zach Elliott, anyone on our staff could run this organization. Caitlin, Ashley, whoever could run this organization. And yet, uh, anyone in my family could run this organization. Heck, my dogs can run the organization. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe. You, you, you have pets, right? Yeah, yeah. No, I think... I think my dog might be able to run this organization a little bit. Does, does, does Amelia have any pets? She has a cat. I don't she, know. She has a cat? Okay. All right. So her cat her, her cat could run the organization. <laughs> um, okay. So, all right. Um, yeah. And, like, we know what to do. So why doesn't the owner know what to do? I don't know. I don't, I don't know. With I mean, with Mike Brown, it's always been he's cheap. You know, he doesn't want to spend the money on these big-name guys. He doesn't want to take a chance. But why? You know, yeah, that's the, that's the thing. It's like, why? Why doesn't he? Because every single, not every single, but a lot of these organizations, that's how they're winning these Super Bowls. That's how they're winning in the playoffs, something that the Bengals have not been able to do since 1990 when they beat the Houston Oilers 45-14. And they now are the Tennessee Titans. That was 30 years ago. <laughs> 30 years ago. It was, it's over 10. I'm 20 years old. 
That was 10 years before I was born. It was eight years before I was born. This is, I mean, it's, you can't even say that Mike Brown, you can't say that, oh, he's not cheap. Well, yeah, he is. One year, one offseason isn't just going to change the whole, you know, outlook on this owner who just never wanted to bring in big free agents. And so, I mean, I, and also I can see the argument where people say Mark, Mike Brown, this this season is really why maybe he doesn't want to sign these free agents because we've talked about all show the injuries look at all the guys that they just signed so now they're he's justified injured. and now they're now he's not going to do it again yeah and that's the thing that really worries me and i've seen it worry <laughs> a lot of this fan base and i hope i mean if that's the case moving forward then i mean we're screwed i mean it's i mean it's you just got to wonder in your mind what's he thinking because if these guys that we just spent all this money on aren't even playing what's the point in signing more free agents next offseason because who knows that's that the same thing isn't going to happen again. I think we have so much to talk about. We should we should do this um, in two separate recordings, two separate one hour recordings. If you think we need to, I mean, I mean, if you want to, I uh, I, I have a, I have a lot more to say on this. So we we'll, we'll go well, maybe we'll go an hour and a half. Okay, this will be part one. I mean, this is the second time we're playing a division opponent, so I guess you can justify yeah extend this. So we'll, we'll go we'll go longer than usual today. Um, so I mean, it, yeah, it, it just like you know. This organization is at such a crossroads right now because of the length of the playoff trial. 50, I mean, it's, it's, this organization's been around for 52 years, and then for 30 years, they have not won a playoff game. It, it's almost become comical. And Marvin Lewis was brought in here to change the culture. He did that. He got guys to buy in. They get, you know, some, you know, really talented players. Chad, Hoosh, Palmer, Rudy, uh, defensively, Odell Thurman, bust, but hey, he had five interceptions this rookie season. Delta O'Neal. I mean, that team had some talent. I mean, it really did. Coaching staff was pretty solid too. I mean, who was our who was our defensive coordinator? Why don't I remember this? In which year? Two thousand five. That's a great question. I know our that off- is one I would not be able to answer. It was for you. Bra- it was Brad Burkowski was our offensive coordinator, and then of course Marvin Lewis was our head coach. But I mean, I just think about um, who I should know this. Um, I just think about you know thirty. You know if. You know, it just kept getting, you know, you know, the hope has waned so much that we just now know what's going to happen. You know, in year three, okay, if you if you want to cite the sports curse or this organization on that loss to the Steelers, don't do that. Palmer got hurt, and I don't know if the Bengals would have won that game with John Kitna. Or I'm sorry, I don't know if the Bengals, if that hadn't happened, would have won that game against the Steelers because the Steelers were really good. The Bengals were also good but vulnerable. But then you know it felt like, okay. Now we know where this team is going. When is the when is you know the big you know playoff win championship whatever going to happen? And it just has not happened. They haven't won a playoff game in thirty years. That's more than half the years this organization has been around. And for guys like you, me, Zach, Elliot, and, you know, all of our staff members, and any young any Bengals fan in Cincinnati who's you know a student here and you know high school kids, they you know, th- this is all they know the Bengals as. And we hear these stories from our, our parents and grandparents and Paul Brown and, you know, the, the, the glory days, which there aren't really that many to begin with. It's just we've come to such a crossroads. And, you know, after all the anguish and lost hope that the end of the Marvin Lewis era brought, now we have Joe Burrow, who's this Lord and Savior that he's being made out to be. And we're going to waste him, too. And then it's like, you know, the lease is up in 2026. And oh, you just think about, you know, Where is this organization going? That's why this game is so important on Sunday to be continued.